You are listening to the Glass Cannon Network, the premier source for role-playing game entertainment. Welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Network. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Cannon Fodder. I'm your good buddy, Joe O'Brien. And I am Troy, back from Lake Placid, La Valley. Back from... You were training for the Olympics again? Mm-hmm. I do the uh, the luge, as we all know. <laughs> as we um, all know. <laughs> it's the easiest one to get into. And... Uh, so I you picked know what, it up you, a couple years ago. <laughs> you are known for drinking more IPAs than anyone else in the luge. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Because uh, when you break a bone, you don't feel it as much. Uh, and you break a lot of bones in the loops. Oh, welcome back to the FOD, everybody. It is Wednesday, January 11th, 2023. And the news on everyone's lips is Glass Cannon Labs. Yeah. Let Today's me see those lips. What'd you say? Oh, li- give me them lips. <laughs> give me them lips. Uh, is that what everyone's talking about? Everyone. Everyone. I mean, I can't. My phone, it's blowing up the feed. It's constant. Wow. My mom just texted me about it. She doesn't even know what I do for a living. My dad was like, I can't wait to watch Cyborg. And then he (laughs) he put hashtag Cyborg in his tweet. Wow, that's crazy. I bet he already bought the core rule book. Yeah, he did. I, so I offered to send him one for free. He was like, I prefer to support the publisher. That's my <laughs> that's my dad's RPG uh, ethics. That's that's smart. That's that's just smart. Labs begins today, buddy. Cyborg, yeah. are you ready? No. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tell you, man, this is a laid back experiment. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm as ready as I can be. Uh, you know, I'm excited to get into this. I guess this is a little bit spoilery, but that's okay. This is what the FOD's about, is I couldn't decide. I, I debated for a long time whether or not to use pre-gens and just jump right into the story or to do character creation because – you know, if we do character creation, that might be the whole app. And then we don't come back to, you know, Cyborg for a month or so. But I, I still want to do the character creation. So I decided that uh, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to try and still get into the story a little bit. But, man, I, it's like it's like a fantasy draft. The best part of playing fantasy football or baseball is the draft. And then it all goes to shit after that. It's, it's the same thing with gaming. It's like the best part is making these characters and the character creation for Cyborg, Morkborg, all these games. It's so fucking cool i just want to go through that and experience it and i also think it's a great way to learn the game while you do it and so uh that's that's kind of what we're going to be doing and then hopefully jump into the uh the story a little bit as well i'm looking forward to it to me i think that as a player the pressure is off if you're doing character creation Mm -hmm. like if you're coming in with character creation it feels like less pressure whereas if you're handed a pre-gen and you're looking at a sheet full of stats and you don't Know how they work. You don't know how they come together. You don't really understand the game yet. It just feels like a higher pressure situation. And that is what the labs is not all about. It is not about high pressure. We're trying to reduce that as much as possible and just have a good time. Yeah, and this is the best way to do it. Like, if we just, like, here's pre-gens, we're jumping in. It's like, well, now we're putting on a show. And obviously, this is going to be a show. I think that I would say us on our worst day is better than everybody else on their best day. Same thing. Like, we could just be going through the motions. It's still going to be amazing, I think. Uh, but. I, a part of this is like, hey, it's a new group. Let's get together. Let's get to know each other. Let's build some characters. Hey, all right, we've got some time left. Let's uh, let's play a little, and then we'll pick it back up next month or the month after. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm excited. Speaking of character creation, this is a big week for us character creation-wise uh, because we are releasing for the first time ever. We've never done this before. On Patreon, uh, our new show, Blood of the Wild, uh, where we released episode zero last week. We're releasing individual one-on-one character creations with the GM and the players. Each GM, uh, e- the GM and each player, uh, four episodes, one for each character, dedicated. They're like an hour long ish, and it's just the build, building the character together. Uh, so far, people are loving it. Yeah, we've got three of them out now. Yours was the first one uh, to release, and then Paula's, and then Skids dropped today, and then Mary Lou's tomorrow. Uh, it's just a fun way. It's something Jared wanted to do. Uh, we didn't say, hey, Jared, we want you to do this. He was like, I want to do individual sessions. And I was like, all right, well, let's record them, and we'll release them as bonus content. Because that's really what it is. Like, if people aren't into the mechanics, you, you can skip these. Just wait for the show to come out next week. But if you really like the nitty-gritty, you like to see how the sausage is made, uh, <laughs> I think that this is a, a great way to do it. And yeah, I mean, when we did Androids and Aliens, we had those one-on-one sessions that we recorded as videos back in the original studio that we had. Mm-hmm. And people still talk about those to this day. Why don't you guys do that again? Well, now you're getting hour-long drops of those. It's made me think about like what I want to do um, when we when we launch uh, the new Glass Cannon podcast playing Gatewalkers. You know? I don't know. I might have my own uh, take on how we do this. Yeah, it's but the thing with ANA, the difference with ANA was that was like character introductions, a yeah. little more so than building the character. And so uh, I loved it. It was short form, it was great, but this, you know, this opportunity is different and it's for those fans of the system, people that want to and, and people that are trying to learn the system. It really gives you a blow by blow of every, how every point is allocated during the the during the process of character creation in 2E. The name the system. The name the system. <laughs> Oh, so excited. Um, so what else do we have here? We got just a couple of news bits, and then we're going to move on to, man, Professor Eric has a write-up this week about our episode. Oh, and, really? Yeah, and guess what? I'm also going to, uh, we also got a, a, a very nice, uh, very respectful uh, tweet from a fan who corrected us. So, well, I'm going to bring that up as well. So we thank you guys for reaching tweets. out. Well, I know, they're so rare and precious. <laughs> I like to make sure that I put them on air. You guys are the best. So uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I did want to uh, mention just a couple more uh, news tidbits. There is... Class Cannon News. So we're launching Labs tomorrow. That's a... Yep. Or I mean today, today. That is a Twitch thing. That is a Twitch thing. That is like... Twitch exclusive, yeah. A Twitch exclusive thing. And so as part of that, we're trying to... Uh, elevate our Twitch game a little bit in terms of emotes, uh, things that people can use to uh, show their emotions, show their uh, their uh, support of the Glass Cannon Network and the people that are on it. So uh, for those of you that are into that kind of thing, we're about to explode the uh, the emote options on yeah. uh, on Twitch, right? You've been like really spearheading this. Yeah, and it's and and uh, you know if you if you come to any of our live shows, or if you bought any of our, of our posters, you know our amazing artists, Angeline, they uh, worked with me to make a ton of emotes that we're loading uh, into Twitch. Because the thing is, where we're doing this as a Twitch exclusive show, if you can't watch it live, the only other way you can watch it is on VOD, and our VOD is gated to subscriber only. If there was any sort of functionality between Patreon and Twitch, we would allow it to go over to, to Patreon as well. It just doesn't have that. So to further incentivize people to subscribe to Twitch, we want to try and give you all the bells and whistles that come with the Twitch experience. And so just the first like basic thing we could do was get more uh emotes in there and and cheer motes i don't even know what all these fucking things are called bit 
Johns. Uh, but <laughs> I think they're called Bit Johns. Yes. Everyone that's on any of our series right now, like they all are going to have faces in there that you can uh, use in the chat. And then uh, we've got Jared, some- Abu, Nora. Ross, Joseph Kirkovich, jo- Alicia yeah. Marie, like all these people have been added. It's so exciting. Kate with her new haircut, like <laughs> Angeline updated everything. Me with the the new logo colors on my hat. Uh, it's 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 really really exciting. And then we're working on some animated praise log emotes. And then for people to give bits, like your lifetime bit count. It's just shit we should have done a long time ago. But we've got a lot going on. We don't know how any of this stuff works because we're old. We're uh, so old. You know, people that give a ton of bits, like they they calculate like what your lifetime bit count is. Well, along the way, you should be earning like little emotes. So people that gave a ton of bits, you're about to unlock like seven or eight uh, bit cheer below baloney bullshits right out the <laughs> gate. There's a great old uh, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry did. And it's one of my favorite lines. And I always think about this when you're old and you can't stay in touch with what things are called. Larry David's like all excited right before it falls to shit like it does every episode. And he's in Starbucks. He's like, give me, uh, give me one of those uh, vanilla bullshits. <laughs> it's the same thing. Like, I still don't know what these things are called. But anyways, you're gonna if you know how Twitch works, you're about to unlock a ton of those. And those will be available for the first time uh, tomorrow or today on Glass Cannon Labs. Uh, let me slow down the pace a little bit. I'm so excited, uh, to, to have you back. Cause you were, you've been gone. You split right after, uh, the Dark Souls stream. You, you, you launched mm-hmm. the Dark Souls, uh, guaranteed platinum run. Is that what you're calling it? That, it's called the guaranteed platinum <laughs> run, right? Platinum run. I don't know how I'm going to find time to play Skyrim because all I want to do is jump back into original Dark Souls. We had so much fun. We had like a huge crowd on there. People that watched the original Dark Souls stream were way into it. I brought back my character and you couldn't spell Ralph Treadwell because of the character count was different. Character limits. Uh, so now he's Ralph Treadbad. And so we're, we're building his prequel, how he became Treadwell. Anyways, <laughs> so much fun. But yeah. And this was I, on uh, twitch.tv slash GCN Employee Lounge. This right. is an Employee Lounge stream. Relaxed, kick back, played a little Dark Souls. And then you left town. Uh, and then I left and you, town. you got yeah. away for a little bit. How was, your, how was your break? It was great, man. We go to Lake Placid every year. My wife and I, we've been going since we were dating. So this is like our 10th year of going. And, you know, we started going while we were dating, going while we were engaged, married, pregnant, baby one, baby two. Like it's just all these little milestones that come back every year. And it gets a lot less fun. Can't do as much drinking. No, we have a blast taking the kids around. But I, uh, it's a, we usually go in December, like right around our anniversary. Um, and last year there was just so much shit going on with PAX Unplugged, visiting people, families, trying to squeeze that Lake Placid trip in. We were like, you know what? Next year, let's do it right after Christmas. We know Troy is really depressed. This will give him something to look forward to. Uh, so <laughs> I left like the first week of the year. I was like, oh man, it's been a rough week. I need a vacation. And I took off for four days. I remember way back in the day, uh, my buddy, uh, Ambrosia, who's been mentioned on this, uh, on the network multiple times, uh, and who is not a fan of anything that we do. Uh, oh. he, he was my coworker for a very, very, very long time. And he got into the habit of being like, I'm going to go to Europe for a week and a half or two weeks in the first week of January because like, <laughs> you know, prices plummet. It's like a much better time to travel. Uh, things are less crowded, et cetera. Well, it is a nightmare when it's like you and a coworker like cover an entire <laughs> arm of a business and – when the new year starts and everyone comes back from break, you're solo. And like, he just would go off. He did it like two years. And I was like, never again. 
was just, it was brutal. But you just took a couple of days. Yeah, I was only covered a couple of days. Uh, but, you know, I was still checking my Asana tasks. And now I, I today is just like a mountain of work uh, that I have to. This is going to be the whole week, but I did it to myself. <laughs> You've done this to yourself. Uh, we are going to be back with labs uh, the following week. We're doing this uh, every week, three weeks out of the month. That's so, the plan right now, yeah. three weeks a month. Three weeks out of the month, one week off uh, to rest and regroup. Uh, and so next week, I'm going to be running Simbarum or Simbarum. As I've del- delved deeper, I've learned multiple pronunciations of the game. Uh, Simbarum or Simbarum, however you want to pronounce it, I think we say Simbarum. Uh, we are – I am I'm super excited for that too. I'm juiced. I think it's going to be interesting for you, Troy, because I want to see how you like it. I actually am – not doing character creation. I am doing pre-gens ah. because I do want to dive right into the system and the story and just give you a chance to start getting into the crunch of the system. I don't know. First impressions, I will say, is I'm curious to see how you like this for a show because as I read it, it feels like it would work really well for a show. There's like there's stuff built about it that is streamlines the D20 process in a way that makes things really fast. Uh, and – as an added benefit, it also <laughs> added benefit for shows, not added benefit necessarily for players. It is deadly, and characters can die in a round or two if things go bad. Like it, it could be super, super fast. Uh, it doesn't really drag. And the way that the mechanics and math are done, super fast. And I'll give you one uh, little tidbit: the GM doesn't roll really. Yeah, that's so, becoming uh, like very gauche. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, gauche. GM. Gauche, yeah. You never heard the expression gauche? What does it mean? Uh, it, to me, it could mean either good or bad. Actually, gauche isn't the right word. <laughs> yeah, I think ga- gauche, gauche is, means bad. I, I meant to say like in right now. Gauche means like, you know, lack of social experience. Uh, right. <laughs> Have I been using gauche wrong my whole life? <laughs> yeah, it's like awkward. Um, tacky. Yes, tacky. That is, that is the I mean. definition. It's I very in of. right now. Like GMs don't roll. Uh, mm-hmm. the, you, all these new systems that are popping up or the systems that we've been like falling in love with, it's their, the GM doesn't roll. That happens a lot now. Yeah, because the GMs worldwide are trying to wash their hands of all the terrible things that they, right. that they Sorry, do. Sorry, you did this to yourself. Except for, the ones, except for the ones that really like it, that you know, like so, to see their friends suffer. GM doesn't roll in Cyborg either. Like when, you, uh, when a monster really? attacks, you just roll to defend. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought I was going to be the first one on labs that wasn't rolling. Nope. You'll be the second and therefore less important. Therefore, uh, by definition, less important. Will I have to role play in this game? Bringing that up was gauche. That was very gauche. Uh, will you have to role play? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, do whatever you want. Fuck. But <laughs> you do not have to role play. I will say that. Okay. Uh, I think that that, that – I don't know. To me, that comes across in these super dark settings. It's like you don't when, – when all – like when a character is completely uh, reasonable in being a silent murderer and that's like who they are, it's like it is totally reasonable in this setting to be uh, just a, you know, a dark, quiet, loner killer and be yeah. fine with it. His tongue was cut out for an earlier crime. <laughs> right. That's, yes. That's what I'm going to do. Do it. Do it. Yeah, that's good radio. Oh, that's amazing. Um, okay. With that, let us uh, get to Professor Eric's notes on Glass Cannon Podcast. Uh, Strange Aeons episode 57? Yeah, but one 57. other little tidbit that we did miss in news and report. Time for Chaos, 
our oh call yes of, our call of cthulhu massive Nyarlathotep uh podcast and uh, stream that launched last year now has its own uh dedicated rss feed that launched on monday uh so please uh choose your your podcast app of choice subscribe download rate and review everybody already has been doing the past couple days it's shot time for chaos into new and noteworthy into top games it was like ranked four over all the other day last time i checked i've stopped looking but we really appreciate that it does so much uh to help put these shows on other people's radars uh so that we can uh get season two's launching Yes, uh, it's been awesome. Thank you guys so much for uh, coming out and supporting the network and our, our attempts here to launch these new feeds. We really, really appreciate those of you that are willing to uh, take the time because I know it is it is a, a few seconds that a lot of people honestly don't have. Yeah. Um, okay. Professor? Professor Eric, report card, episode 57 uh, of Strange Aeons. Let's start it off with a ship filled with enemies pulling up uh, alongside ours in an attempted possible boarding action. If yep. Ethel doesn't make an incredibly brave uh, move and cross over himself. The question is, when you've got a ton of minion enemies like that, mm -hmm. you have the option to roll a group initiative or to do individual initiative for each one. I believe you had eight does that yeah. sound right? I believe yep. there were eight enemies that started on that ship. Why did you choose to roll individual initiative for each of them? When we started the the Glass Cannon podcast, I used to just roll one initiative because that's what I did um, when I started jamming Jade Region for you guys. Uh, and then I just thought it was more interesting to roll individual initiative rather than them all going at once. It's like, well, they all move at different paces. They all kind of uh, – you know, the, the other reason I do it, I started doing it, is like sometimes you roll a shitty initiative. And so then all your guys go late. Here, some guys might go late, some guys may go early. So I like having that variation. That said, I fucking hate it. I hate, <laughs> I hate running combats with 50 fucking minions. Uh, it's a real pain in the ass. And, uh, you know, it's just a lot more work to make it interesting for a stream. Um, Especially when, uh, for the most part, a lot of these guys all have the same things. They either have a falchion or a crossbow, you know. So I've got a, that's, that's my level of varying it up. It's like, well, this guy's going to use the falchion. Um, but you know, we, this is something we're going to have to learn. I think it's, I don't want to talk shit on Pathfinder 2E because I think it's a great game. I think it is a lot more work to make it a good show than Pathfinder first edition. And we're up to the task. And that's why I'm glad we're getting these reps in before we launch Gatewalkers. Um, yeah, it's I'm not just, convinced of that yet. I, I, I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I'm, glad I'm withholding. Not. I'm withholding judgment on that. I think that you can't uh, deny the fact that making it a show gets a little bit bogged down by not having years of experience playing it every single week. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you're constantly. What's the best way to to try to explain it? It's like uh, you know, if you're constantly, if you're up at bat to hit a baseball and you're constantly thinking about where your feet are, where your, how your hands hold the bat, sure. what your stance is, where you look, how you, how the pitcher, but you know what I mean? All these basics, you're never going to get any, you're never going to get a hit. Uh, you have to get so many reps to the point where you don't think about it anymore. It just doesn't even occur to you. Uh, that is this rule right or wrong? You don't even think about it. Or right. like, should you use this weapon or not? Or what do you do with that third action? By the time you've done a thousand third actions, like it just, it's going to be smoother. So I don't think the system makes the issue with the show. I think it's just experience. And I, I think we'll get there. That's a great analogy. That's a great analogy. Um, it, one of the problems though, is these combats when there's so many minions, like uh, it's just, 
it's so hard. You know, it's not like Pathfinder first edition in that like sometimes you'll wipe out three of those guys in the first round. It just doesn't happen anymore. You know, they're, they're, they're all a lot tougher and, uh, you know, they all have a lot more hit points. They're a lot more spongy in that regard. And so it just takes a lot of adjustment, um, behind the screen, uh, to make this good for radio adjustments that I didn't have to do for Pathfinder first edition. And that's fine. I mean, I, I don't mind doing it. Um, but it's just, it's, it's leading me more and more, uh, in the direction of why I want to make my own game. <laughs> that is like more efficient. Well, I'm going to push back you on you on that too. You don't have a party that is built to deal massive amounts of damage to anybody at any given time. Mm-hmm. It, it is really a weak damage dealing party. Now we have flexibility can do a lot of fun different things, but like um, we don't have that you know sort of Sir Julie uh, Ethel combo. Uh, where you can have two big swingers, you know, like a barbarian, a fighter, or whatever, that can go in there and just deal massive amounts of damage per swing. Um, it's just not, it's just not something we have. So also, you also have this into a microcosm of this one group that is also made of a bunch of people that don't know how to play 2E, you know? So it's <laughs> like, just keep that in mind. Yeah, uh, no, for when sure. You're, when you're making your judgments, because uh, speaking from experience with Blood of the Wild, which is going to be airing next week, episodes one, two, and three drop next week, um, I will say there are some combats in there that go like that, yeah. uh, because of how powerful some of the characters are. Uh, well, all right. cool. That's also lower level. So that's what I'm saying. Let's keep an open mind until we see how it all sort of plays out over a long period of time. Professor Eric's uh, take on that was just he likes the individual initiative. He knows that it is tedious, but he also thinks that it might be harder for a GM to do all of it in one turn than to break up the GM's turns into, you know, give the GM a break and a player takes a turn and then go back to the GM. My favorite part of those combats is when I don't have to do anything. (laughs) When you guys are acting, because then I have a second to be like, all right, good. Thank God. I got a break before nine of my guys go. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I, I I think we said it when we got off air. We were just like, we we, we like golf clapped you. We were like, nice work, Troy. You're just like <laughs> sweating. Uh, it is hard when you're running a whole bunch of minions. I don't think it matters what system also, you're playing. With Donjon, the initiative tracker that uh, Skid turned me on two years ago, it's just so easy too because I'll write, you know, thug, eight thugs and what their D20 plus whatever their perception is. And then it populates it as thug one, thug two, thug three, all with their individual initiative. So that makes it really easy too. I'm not rolling all these and writing them. Uh, I just write the number of guys and what their uh, bonus is. And it does the math for me. Okay. Um, I, I want to clarify this because this is something where professor Eric was confused. And I, I want to talk to anybody, any listeners that are confused about the difference between uh, the curses and how they affect us in the dream world versus in the real world. Now, I'm also just getting confused. They affect us in the real world, correct? The, yeah. um, the curse. The, what are they the called? Madnesses. Madnesses. Yeah. The madnesses affect us in the real world. When we're in the dream world, <clears throat> we don't experience those symptoms, right? Right. <clears throat> uh, okay, great. So <clears throat> when this all started, we didn't really know where we were. Uh, but we are in the dream world for the purposes of the mechanics. So we are not impacted by those things. And we'll, we'll bring that up on air on the actual show. Yeah. I don't think it's mattered. Um, but you know, yeah, that's the thing. It's like when you're in, when we started this in Philly, you were, you weren't sure where you were and I wasn't letting on the fact that you were in the dream worlds, uh, but your curses don't affect you. Whereas some things do carry over from the dream worlds back to the real world, uh, as well, like the doom condition we talked about, but, uh, 
Yeah. I love I love that narratively, by the way. I just I don't know how to explain it simply and quickly, but I'll just say I love a story where it's like you go to the you go to the dreamlands, you go to the dreamlands, you go to the dreamlands, you go to the wait, are we in the dreamlands or not right now? Like it's all mixing together. It's such a great narrative choice to like have a moment where you can't trust your own perceptions at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, even with a high role, quote unquote, like you still can't trust it. You don't really know what you're looking at. Uh it puts the players uh off kilter, which is yeah. great. Uh, a little confusion on the Falchion's forceful property, uh, uh, Professor Eric says. It is a damage bonus, not a two-hit bonus. So it's not similar to Agile or Finesse, as someone said. Uh, sweep, on the other hand, is kind of like Fake Agile, as long as you have a separate target to switch to. Um, so, yeah, it is a da- forceful as a bonus That's to right. damage, I not misspoke. to hit. The second attack gains a circumstance bonus to damage equal to the number of weapons. To- All right. Well, that's a lot cooler because I was like, well, he only had one damage die, so it's only a plus one to hit. Well, plus one to damage. Yeah, plus one to damage, too. There you yeah. go. Cool. Um, we were correct. Uh, we eventually got it right. <clears throat> My voice is dropping out. <clears throat> that um, Aldo's bombs, you don't get a reflex save to avoid that splash damage. Yep. So we got that right, which is great. Um Okay, this is awesome. This is where I love uh, Professor Eric coming in and crushing it. This is huge. And I've seen this been talked about on the boards. And I just mm-hmm. forgot to mention it to you. But it's so he, he laid what this, a huge thing that we just completely missed. Yeah. it's it, Well, yeah, we completely missed it. But it's also a big point of contention and misunderstanding in the entire community. Mm-hmm. It's not just us. All right. I'm just going to read this. Being slowed on your turn, which was, in this case, a result of a fan fumble, normally – would have no effect on the current turn. So we, you basically had ended your turn because you got slowed in your second action. Your second action was a strike, resulted in a fumble. The fumble had you slowed one or whatever it was, and so you gave up that third action. Slowed reduces the – technically, it reduces the number of actions you regain at the start of your turn. It has no effect on the current action pool. This is a confusing area of the rules for many people, and the raw can often feel counterintuitive. For instance, casting haste on yourself wouldn't give you the bonus action from quickened until your next turn. So it's often better to cast it on others, he says. This is another place where stunned and slowed are possibly a little different. Stunned says you can't act. So it effectively ends your turn, and each time you regain actions, you reduce the number regained by your stun value. So stunned is much worse in that context, too. If you got stunned on your second action, you would also not get a third action, but you wouldn't regain it. You would just be stunned one the next turn. And then you would you would regain you, you would get that stunned one would go away after you had paid right. that one so unless it had a number of rounds attached to it. If something happens to you uh, on before your turn and you become stunned two, when it comes to your turn, you have one action. If you become stunned three, it comes to your turn, you have no actions. If you are stunned four and it comes to your turn, you have no actions this this round and you lose one action. And, next and you cannot react in between. You right. can do no reactions or free actions in between. That's just a thing that comes with stun. But that's the thing is the carryover. If you're stunned six, you lose your next two turns. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that is an important distinction and one which I hope that I'll remember going forward. You know, the idea, this idea that your actions are given to you at the top of the turn. Once you have them, you have them. There's yeah. really very few things besides stunned, I guess, which would take them away from you. 
the way that they are, when you are slowed one, for example, the way that raw technically works, you are given one less action at the start of your turn. And that's, that's how they, they, they monitor it or manage it. Uh, okay. So moving on, we were correct in hunt prey. It does do double damage. Good call, Joe. Always makes me flush <laughs> with the professor. It gives me a compliment. Everything doubles into a except things that only happen on a critical, critical, i.e. fatal or deadly die don't double. Um, but like pretty much everything else doubles uh, as long as it doesn't only happen on a crit. So there you yeah. go. It even um, says it in the deadly weapon <clears throat> property. Like you don't – you double it and then add the deadly bonus. Right. Uh, now, now we get to Matthew, some bad marks, bad marks on Matthew. I'm really disappointed in Matthew. And I don't know if he's purposefully cheating or if he's just cheating to help you get out of the encounter. I don't know what's going through his head because I don't know how I didn't catch this. And maybe he is doing it right, but Ethel's shove should have had the multiple attack penalty applied to it. He rolled a natural 19. Uh, even with the map attached to it, it would be a 32. Still a critical success, success but not, so nothing changes. But just a reminder that shoves, trips, etc., they all suffer from the multiple attack penalty. On the grab uh, – sorry, the – Because they have the attack trait, right? Because they have the attack trait. And I think that there was another one where he crit – I think it was on the grab check maybe. Um, he, he crit – oh, he was later. Yes, yes, yes. That's that's a little bit later. Uh, well, let's jump to it. Ethel's grapple should still have the map issue raised as before. I think I would have made it. I think it would have been successful, but not a critical success in this case. Again, it didn't make a difference with the follow up pummel. The point being, I asked Eric after this. I was like, "Did he really not apply that? Or are you just guessing based on the math? Like, how do you really know?" He's like, "Honestly, I don't really know. I'm just saying that without a natural twenty on a third action, a crit seems extremely unlikely." Yeah, yeah. It seems mathematically impossible, and that's what happened. So I it seems like that, Matthew did not take that multiple attack penalty. Cheater. I think this is happening a lot, and it's something that I just cannot police because no, I, I people, people have to have police, to police themselves. themselves. They're adults, Troy. And you know, it's just you have to you have to really use your head and think like every just assume that everything has the multiple attack penalty, and then be surprised when it doesn't. If you're doing something that it all seems like uh, fisticuffs. It's going to have that multiple attack penalty. So by the time you get around to your second and third action, it should be very, very hard for it to hit um, or to succeed. And uh, you just you have to police it. You know, I rewrite all the stat blocks because so the stat blocks will come like Falchion plus 18, right? And so then I'll write right in there. Oh, is it an agile weapon? No. Okay, great. So plus 18, uh, plus 13, plus 8. I just have it all in there. So I know when it's my third action, if I'm trying to do anything, it's going to be that. And You just have to self-police. Yeah. it's And it's – yeah. I mean I, I, this doesn't seem complicated to me. I'm not sure how he screwed that up. So because anything you do that's like really physically attacking like that in any way takes the multiple attack penalty. So I'm going to call Matthew on the I wonder, like, I'm sending him an angry email. You guys are still using Hero Lab, right? So like when you – does it show you the what the three numbers are for yes. each attack? It does. Okay. Yeah. It shows you right there in front of you. He's just cheating. Uh, so yeah, he's just, flat, he's just flat out cheating. All right. This is a good one. Uh, grabbing a ledge. Now, I think that the reason I want to really nail down on this is because even though it was an NPC, even though it didn't matter in this situation, this is going to matter to a PC at some point in this campaign and is going to save a life. Or you're going to die because uh, – but in either case, I want to do it right. And it's interesting as we get into the nitty-gritty of grabbing a ledge, which uh, Eric put points out here. Um, 
on a critical success, you need a critical success to grab an edge if both of your hands are occupied at the time that you were pushed. You don't have to have a free hand and you can grab an edge with a crit success. With a success, you can only grab an edge if you had nothing in the the other hand. His argument is that this guy was wielding a falchion that's two-handed and thus he had to crit success to be able to grab an edge. Ah. Now, I think that if this happened to a PC, you would instantly get an argument like, well, I just take my hand off the weapon. I can do that. You know, I think the spirit of the raw is that if you are wielding anything in the moment before, like it fouls up your ability to grab that edge after. Oh, now, if it was just totally free at the time, then it gives you a better chance to do it, which is you just need a success to to grab an edge. Uh, but you have to have that hand free before you were pushed. Um, if you have no hands free, you continue to fall as if you had failed the check. Uh, so it, it, on a success, on a success, yeah. if you had both hands were occupied. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting soft in my old age, but I feel like if you have a, a weapon that's two handed, you can take, you can take that reaction to take a hand off the weapon. You know what I mean? It's different from having, Maybe I've got to think about this more. My gut right now, it's like, ah, come on. It's like it used to be able to cast, if you had a, a staff, you could, or you had a sword, you could take your hand off and cast and then put your hand back on as a free action. I don't know. I feel like you should have it. Um, but I don't know. I, you know, if you have a crossbow, no, I, I don't know. I got I to gotta look in, into this more. I think the spirit of the rule, you are right. Um, but it is kind of a hamstring because you're using your reaction. You can't do this and then have an attack of opportunity later. Yeah. Um, I think if it were me, like my compromise, I think, and this is still pretty harsh. I would say you have to drop the weapon like off the edge to grab the edge, because if you have a great sword, the whole point is that's not easily wielded with one hand. And you're going to tell me you're going to grab a ledge and be fine holding this, you know, large weapon in that instant. You know, that your reaction is so fast. So if you want your character to grab that edge on a success and not a critical success, you got to drop the great sword. I don't know. Well, this is interesting. I, I think... I think I've solved it, and I think you're correct. Because let's look at the release action. It's a free action. You release something you're holding in your hand or hands. That might mean dropping an item, removing one hand from your weapon while continuing to hold it in another hand, releasing a rope, suspending a chandelier, or performing a similar action. Unlike most manipulate actions, release does not trigger reactions that can be triggered by actions with a manipulate trait, such as attack of opportunity. Here is the key sentence, though. If you want to prepare to release something outside of your turn, use the ready activity. So mm. you have your hand on that weapon. If you did not technically prepare to release that outside of your turn, which is in the case of uh, a reaction mm -hmm. like grab a ledge, you can't do it. Yeah, you can't do it because what they're trying to simulate here is they're not trying to like bust your chops with these like nitty gritty rules that don't make sense narratively, which is I know that that would be Skid's argument. I know it would. Yeah. And, and I could, and I could see that. But what I think that the rules are trying to do is approximate the absolute chaos and split secondness of combat. Yeah. It's like when you're holding that thing, it is, it happens so fast that you get pushed off that ledge that having this big bulky item, it's harder for you. To do it, that's all we're saying. We're not saying it's impossible. We're just saying it's harder for you to do it than it is for somebody who just had a dagger. That, yeah. That's all we're saying. Yeah, and also, like, you have to throw out – it's hard. And, and you fall into this trap as well. Um, so we're not just burying skits. Like, just because something seems unrealistic 
doesn't mean that other people who are smarter about this game haven't figured out there's a reason that this balances it better. And I just mm -hmm. tend to believe them. They've put a lot more time into it. So even though it may not make sense, other people have decided that it's better for the game this way. Um, one other thing that we forgot to mention is that you, on a success, you still take damage from the distance, but you treat the fall as though it were 20 feet shorter. That's something we've never done. Um, yeah, but we've never really had a situation where we've fallen 20 feet before we grabbed the ledge. You know what I mean? Like that's what that's saying. That's saying you're yeah. slipping down the side of the wall. And Something you, good to remember though because like if you is. fall into a pit, you should be able to have the option to like not fall 100 feet to grab it, but you still – you rip out your shoulder socket. Basically. Right. You're, you're on, but like, oh, God. Oh, that hurts oh. so bad. Uh, yeah, very interesting. There was a long bit about Pepsi the snake and the diversion tactic, which obviously was a total mess. That was just a mess. Uh, Professor Eric, being very professional and kind, says it kind of meandered a fair bit between actual rules and rule of cool uh, versus what the player was trying to do. He thinks we made the right choice. He likes what we did. Because he thinks it was more rule of cool, but it's not strictly raw. She ha she could have just commanded the animal companion and gotten the snake into a position. One strike, probably. One move and diversion is in the same ballpark. Typical uh, type of thing I would normally allow in the moment, but probably would not want to enshrine as an always allowed option. So that's a good distinction. It's like you kind of allow it in the moment, but you don't get into the habit of being like, okay, you you go do this diversion and all the enemies look at your snake or whatever. Yeah. They all take a penalty to whatever. Um, yeah. I, don't I know. just, you know, you know, I don't like animal companions, but like I, the, if, if Cindy, if you want to do them, you better know the rules for animal companions better than I ever could. Cause I'm not going to take the time to read it. And that's the thing is like this, it's, there's so many extra things that go along with controlling animal companions. Somebody has got to learn that thing inside and out so that we don't get hung up on it. Or don't do it. That's my thing. It's like, if there's a cool thing that you want to do in the game, you better know how to do it. Otherwise, wait until you know how to do it to bring it into the game. Yeah, that's, that's easier said than done. It is. Animal companions do not have their own initiative, Troy. They act on their owners. Okay, so I can dig into this. Because uh, Professor Eric doesn't even mention this, but I know about this because of Blood of the Wild. So we had to dig into this, Spoiler. and we got it We got it wrong. We got it wrong in Blood of the Wild, gave the Animal Companion their own initiative, and then corrected it later. So rest assured, Blood of the Wild listeners, you will hear that corrected later. But the distinction is this. You can use the command and animal action for not your Animal Companion. So you can command an animal that's just an animal, that you're like, friendly with yeah. if you have the proper stats you're a druid you have the proper whatever wild empathy right whatever it is you can command an animal action and have it not be your animal companion they take those actions on their initiative i'm sure that that's what uh sydney had read it's a it the command and animal action says it specifically that they take that on their action yeah. but when you go to the animal companion section it clarifies that animal companions operate at a different level than just any random animal, they take their uh, actions on your turn when you command them. So that was an important distinction uh, to to make, and we got it clear now. We're good, we're good, uh, because Blood of the Wild also. Uh, well, yeah, actually, I can't say anything. It spoils everything. Yeah, um, we got to wait a while. Um, okay, I think I think that's pretty much it, with the exception of uh, Professor Eric is is, is uh, I mean, if we're getting lawyery here, he's he's speculating. He's speculating. 
that Aldo has been missing the persistent damage on his hits. Now, I remember Skid saying this multiple times, but maybe in this episode he forgot it. Alchemist Fires would have a small static amount of damage, and Acid Flasks would have a large random amount of damage, uh, says Eric. So... Yeah, I don't know past, if he meant, I don't remember him talking about it, but I remember him in the past. I remember on stage it shows him doing persistent damage. So Yeah, Alchemist Fire Lesser deals one D eight fire damage, one persistent fire damage, and one fire splash damage. Uh and that goes up depending if it's moderate, greater, major. I think in the past, probably erroneously, I was rolling reflex saves to avoid that. Mm-hmm. Um when it should just be persistent and the flat check that you get at the end of your turn. Um so yeah. Don't don't uh, skimp on the damage, kid. Give yeah. it to me. Come on, skimp. No wonder these combats are taking so long. You're not <laughs> giving yourself perce- full damage. He's not giving himself his 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 one <clears throat> his one persistent. <sighs> you hit the nail on the head though, man. This party is is really it's not built to to go the distance, I think. You know what I mean? Because even Ethel jumping up into the business, so brave, so ballsy. Now at the end of the combat, Ethel is in rough shape uh, because he's been taking it and you're a ranged wizard you've got this druid that is got you know you can get put pepsi up there but the druid is kind of standing back and then you've got a, a ranged bomber um so it just relies if ethel doesn't mash ethel is going to be just eating it because the enemies do so much more damage than they did they hit so more uh so more frequently than they did in pathfinder 1e you almost need to have two people that can get up and bang or and this is wild this is wild. Someone to heal the one person that takes all the damage. We've yeah. got all these casters and no real healing. I mean, we do have some healing, but like, man, this is a, it's a, it is an interesting party composition. We'll see how long it lasts, but it, it yeah, I agree with you that I don't think it's built for the long haul, uh, unfortunately. And I do think that we need more direct damage dealers, burst damage dealers that could be, you know, that are more martial, I think, but yeah. You know, we'll see. I mean, look, it's so funny. Every single party we have ever had, we've had these same kind of complaints. Like, there's always something that you're lacking. You know, there's always something you're not great at. And so I think you could nitpick any party. But in this case, I think that's one of the reasons the combats are slowing down is because we don't just have somebody that's slinging out 30, 40 points every round the way that uh, Ethel can at times. Yeah. You know, with five PCs, there's no excuse. The only excuse being that, like, you didn't build this party from scratch. You know, for gatewalkers, you know, we're all going to talk. You're going to decide, like, all right, well, I've got to cover this. If you're going to cover that, it's going to be built from the start. And then things happen when people start dying. But this is like people are coming in from, I want to be a druid. I want to be a witch. I want to be a this. (laughs) I want to be a witch. And so you don't have that. You're you're just, you're not only, you're, you're missing a healer. You're missing some battlefield control. You're missing someone that can flank with, uh, Ethel and keep them alive. Well, Pepsi. Pepsi can fly with us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he'll, li- he'll live forever. <laughs> oh, man. All right. That's going to wrap it up for FOD this week. Thanks, everybody, for checking us out. I mean, just if you're li- listening to this on the morning of, uh, of January 11th, then just head on over. Head on over to uh, or, or, or mark your calendar for 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. alarm. To check out a little uh, Glass Cannon Labs today as Troy d- digs into Cyborg and we start making characters. Next week, Symbarum. The week after that, Skid run- runs Blade Runner. Man, so many exciting things happening. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Otherwise, tomorrow night, Strange Aeons is back. Live, episode 58. Uh, you will see it uh, on twitch.tv slash theglasscannon. Thanks, everybody. Have a good uh, Wednesday, and we'll talk to you soon. Chicken poon! Chicken poon! <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to the Glass Cannon Network. For more podcasts and live streams, visit glasscannonnetwork.com. And for exclusive shows and content you can't find anywhere else, subscribe today at patreon.com slash glasscannon. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.